Well, I want to start off by asking you a question that we've been asking for the last four weeks, and that is, what do you need for Christmas? This series is having an impact. I was talking to someone this week who told me that this question, what do you need for Christmas, has been staying with them. The shift from what do I want for Christmas to what do I need for Christmas, it reframes my relationship to the holiday and it turns my heart heavenward toward God during Advent. And so in this series, we've, we've been allowing the Bible to tell us some of the things that we need for Christmas. And so what we've seen so far is that first we need a promise from God, right? We need a promise that God will love us even if we aren't what he wants us to be. And Christmas is that promise. Um, second, we saw that we need a community of God's family. Uh, we need a community of people who understand us, who accept us and let us be real, even when real is awful. Uh, and again, Christmas, we saw, creates this community. And then third, we saw last week that we need a source of joy. So we need someone who can make us rejoice, even in the midst of suffering and pain and not being what we want to be. And Christmas says this source of joy is Jesus. And so, and we saw last week that Christmas is God coming for us. And so the fourth thing that we need for Christmas is new lenses. We need new lenses, a new prescription. Um, we need a new way to evaluate our lives, a new way to see the lives that we are living. And so I want to do a shout out to the kids, the kids that are with us here in the parking lot, the kids that are, in, that are tuning in online. Kids, do you wear glasses? Got some no's, shaken's head, no. Do your parents wear glasses? <clears throat> well, sometimes things can be really blurry if you're not wearing your glasses, right? If you're not wearing your glasses, you can't read or you can't see things clearly if you don't have your glasses on. Um, and I want to tell you that sometimes the Bible, sometimes the Bible, they're kind of like glasses, they provide us with a different way of looking at the world. If we look at the, the world through the lenses that the scripture gives us, um, that it changes how we see things. Things can become clearer. Life can make more sense. Um, and so the Bible tells us that in the story of Christmas, that Christmas can help us to see our lives more clearly. And so the, the, the Christmas story can give us new lenses and in conjunction with the Christmas story this year, we've been reading a part of the Bible where one of the early followers of Jesus describes the problems that he has faced in trying to live a life for God. The person we're looking at is, is the Apostle Paul. He wrote half the New Testament. So he is a big authority, he's a super holy person. And when, we're, when we see what he writes, you're going to get to see what the Bible describes as what it means to be holy because it includes what Paul says. And, and I want you to see, he describes how difficult his own life is. And here's some of what he says. Let me just read you parts of Romans 7. Okay, verse 15, Paul says, For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Verse 18, he says, For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. 
verse 21, he says, so I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. And the conclusion of his problem, he says, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? So here, man, this is rough and it's real. That for Paul and for us, life is hard. And sometimes it's hard because inside we are conflicted between wanting to love God on the one hand and then wanting to do things that are wrong on the other. And so if you're anything like Paul, Again, the guy who wrote half the New Testament wrote this. Um, Take heart because he found an answer. In Romans 7.25, Paul said, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And so Jesus was the answer to all the problems that Paul struggled with internally. Jesus was the answer to the conflict between his desire to honor God and the actual things that he found himself doing. And so we would think, Okay, if you're reading along, Paul's describing this awful problem, his situation, you can identify with it, I can identify with it. I'm like, wow, this is the same thing that goes on in my own heart. Man, this is my experience. And then Paul like crescendos and he climaxes and he's like, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And you're like, cool, that's the end, right? That's the end of, that should be the end of this section. But it's not. This triumphant climax that leads us to Jesus should go directly into chapter 8 where Paul says, hey, therefore, there is no condemnation for you if you believe in Jesus. But there's actually one more thing that Paul says in this chapter before he moves on. There's one more sentence that's actually the conclusion that comes after Paul makes clear that, that Jesus is the answer. And so I want to read it together. This is in your bulletin. This is Romans 7. It's the second half of verse 25. He says, So then, I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh, I serve the law of sin. That's Paul's conclusion. Yikes. Right? This this final sentence, this is not a triumphant climax. Like, actually, it's a bit anticlimactic, isn't it? Like, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord! Yes! So, with my mind, I serve the law of God, but with my flesh, I serve the law of sin. Like, if you're selling Christianity, this is not how you do it, unless you really care about people. Unless you really care about people. Because if you're selling Christianity, you end on the high note of Jesus, and you just say, like... It feels like a lot of people think Christianity says that if you become a Christian, all your problems will end. That all the problems that you have come from your sin. Yes, that's true. But if you believe in Jesus, all those problems go away. Right? There are a lot of the there are lots of parts of Christianity that talk like this. They think all of a sudden, once you become a Christian, you don't suffer anymore. Jesus solves all your problems and now you're happy and holy for the rest of your life. That's not what the Bible teaches. 
That's not what Paul himself said his experience was. It's not the conclusion that he describes here. Instead, his conclusion, it's muted. It's muted. What he's saying here is that life continues to be a tension. It's a struggle. It's a battle between good and evil right in our own hearts. And so if you feel this tension, you're not doing it wrong. If this is a description of your life, then you can take some comfort in knowing that the guy who wrote half the New Testament understands and is with you. This is normal Christian living. And this is important for us to point out, not just because it's in the text, but it is. Like, this is in the Bible. This is the conclusion that Paul has in this section, okay? So if you're thinking, well, here, because sometimes when we struggle, we beat ourselves up, right? Sometimes you think, I shouldn't have done this, or I shouldn't have done this again, or why am I always struggling like this? But Paul is saying here that this struggle is normal, that this is how life is, highs and lows, And so this is what we should expect from ourselves. This is what we need a community around us to remind us of. You know, very often we beat ourselves up and it takes someone outside of us to remind us that, hey, you know what? This is not the sum total of who you are. You've got both sin, but you also have Jesus in you. And so we need, and this like we need this, like we need to recognize that Jesus is the answer to this struggle, but some of that answer is waiting for us in the future. Okay, we don't get all of the answer of Jesus. He's got some blessings uh, that are in store for us in the future. And so some of his victory is for the life to come. This is such a big deal. Now, this doesn't mean that we shouldn't strive to grow and to change because we love Jesus, We want to honor God, and so we never want to stop making efforts to grow and to become more and more like Jesus, to try to kill the sin in our life, to try to to battle and to grow and to mature. But this passage helps us to set expectations for ourselves. Growth and change do happen, but the Bible says that this is, this struggle, this tension is the norm for human beings, even human beings who are devoted to Jesus. So that's good news. But if you're, well, if you're like me, I mean, this is where my mind goes. I'm thinking, all right, well, so that's comforting and that's wonderful. And that's, God, thank you for your love. Thank you that your grace is unconditional. But man, I feel pretty lame in terms of wanting to do my part in your world, God, to help make things better. Right? Like we have this mission. We want to make disciples of all the nations. We have people in our lives and we want them to see Jesus. We want them to know forgiveness and know God's power in their life. But what am I really offering if my life isn't different? If this struggle is the characteristic that I should expect for the rest of my life, then do I really have anything to offer? Is this tension-filled life that has a battle between good and evil that goes on in my own heart. Man, is that kind of a life good enough to make a difference in the world? I think the answer that God would have us 
conclude is yes. Yes. Because we look down on ourselves when we struggle. We think that if we were to conquer our struggles, addictions, and habits, then we'd have something powerful to offer. But that's not how God sees our lives. And so we need new lenses so that we can see our lives the way that God sees them. To see that there can be extraordinary impact in our ordinary lives. And we get these new lenses from Christmas. Okay, Christmas gives us these new lenses. Um, The fourth Advent candle that we're going to light here in just a little bit. The fourth Advent candle is the Magi candle. And the Magi candle represents the influence that our lives can have on others. So I want to read the story of the Magi from Matthew chapter 2. We're going to walk through it, and I'm hoping that this story is going to give you new lenses to see yourself. Matthew 2, this is verses 1 through 12. It says, Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. Wise men, the Greek word is magi. That's where we get the word magi, the Greek word, but it's translated in our translation for wise men. So when you see wise men, just think magi. That's who we're talking about. From the east came to Jerusalem saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. So we're going to talk about this more in detail, but I just want you to get the drama right now. We're going to read through the whole story. I want you to catch the drama. Um, So these are people who show up from a far distant country because they saw something in the sky and they were convinced that it meant a new king was born to the Jews. So verse three goes on. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. This makes sense, right? There's a new king, so the current king kind of freaks out because he didn't just have a son. (laughs) And so current king thinks newborn king is a threat to his throne. And so he tries to figure out, well, so where is this king? So verse 5, they told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means the least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So the Bible scholars, they all go, they check their Bibles, and they find a prophecy saying that the king would be born in Bethlehem. Verse 7, then Herod summoned the wise men secretly, and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. So we don't know this quite yet, but Herod is putting on a happy face. Hey, hey, I want to worship him too, so let me know when you find him. Herod's motives are much, much darker than that. But we don't know that yet. So verse 9, after listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. So the star now appears a second time and led them to the place where Jesus was. 
Verse 11, and going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. So they went in, they worshiped Jesus, and they offered him gifts that back then were fit for a king. Verse 12, and being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. So here we see that God protects Jesus and his family by keeping the Magi from going back to Herod. And when Herod found out, the story goes on, Herod finds out and subsequently he killed all the male children in Bethlehem from two years old and younger. And so even, like, even at the birth of Jesus, even in the Christmas story, the tragedy of human evil is present. And so, so that's the story. And I want to zoom in just on some of the details because I want you to see how this story can give you new lenses to look at our lives. So the question we want to ask is, who were the Magi? Like, who were these wise men and where did they come from? You know, the fourth candle is the Magi candle. What's their story? Well, the only other place in the Bible where the Magi are mentioned is in the Old Testament book of Daniel. Okay, in Daniel, they show up in chapters one through six, and there they're often called magicians. So Magi, magicians, you can see the word, the words there. And so these were powerful royal advisors from the land of Persia. They were astronomers, they were dream interpreters, and they were scholars of ancient wisdom literature. And verse 2 in Matthew 2 says that they came following the star. Now, what was this? Well, if you've hung out with me this week, you've probably heard me. I think I've told this story like a hundred times to like a hundred different people. Some scholars think that the star that they saw was an astronomical event called the Great Conjunction. So if you're tuning in online, I'm going to show you a photo that I took um, from my neighborhood this week. I got this great photo on a walk. The Great Conjunction happens every 20 years, and it's actually happening right now. Okay, It's when Jupiter and Saturn, who are the two biggest planets in our solar system, when they appear close to each other in the sky. Um, and so tomorrow evening, so December 21st, some of you know this, tomorrow evening, uh, they will, these two planets will appear closer to each other in the sky than they will have been for 800 years. And so you can look uh, and you can see, like when I took the photo, they were like this kind of far apart in the sky in the evening, like around 5.30, 6 o'clock, look for the moon and then go up from the moon, you can see them there. And it's kind of cool. Like it's neat to see them there. And so they're still there every 20 years this happens. Um, so in the Bible, kings and rulers are often compared to the sun, the moon and the stars and the stuff that's up in the sky. And so the Magi saw this phenomena in the sky and they came searching. Now, there are several reasons to think that what the Magi saw at Christmas wasn't the Saturn-Jupiter conjunction but I think the timing is really cool since tomorrow is the closest they're going to get. You can go look, but just it's worth mentioning as an example. So, but I, I want you to see that the coming of the Magi to Bethlehem, it's remarkable. It's remarkable because these Magi, they were the descendants of the men described in Daniel. And this was 600 years before Jesus was born. Daniel lived 600 years before Jesus. And so the question is, how did the Magi know that Jesus had been born? 
How did they know what the star meant? Well, it's because 600 years before, Daniel made some predictions. Daniel predicted, you can read this in the book of Daniel, it's really the second half of the book of Daniel that has all these predictions and some of them uh, deal with different things that happened in history, but Daniel predicted that God would send a king and that that king, that when he came, he would bring God's presence and God's kingdom to earth. And so 600 years later, the Magi show up because they were looking for a sign of this king's arrival. And Daniel predicted that it would come. He told them that it would happen. And he said it would happen in 490 years after a particular event. And so what this means is that the Magi, for 600 years, they were reading Daniel's writings. They were studying what he said. And they were counting down the years that the Magi, who were contemporaries with Daniel, and you got to understand, this is crazy and phenomenal and amazing um, because the Magi hated Daniel. The Magi tried to kill Daniel. You can read this in the first six chapters. They tried to kill him. They were trying to get rid of him because they didn't like him because they were jealous of him. But ultimately, they ended up following Daniel and even Daniel's God and they passed down Daniel's teaching from generation to generation to generation so that 600 years later, they were looking for the star. They knew it was coming. And when it came, so did they. And so the Magi's presence demonstrates the power of an influential life. They demonstrate the power of a life that is following God. One way, so like, you know, the, to the question, like, why did these wise men show up? Why did the Magi show up from so, so far away? There's one way you can answer this question, and it will amaze you. The Magi showed up because one man brought his faith to work. These Magi are here because Daniel brought his faith to his workplace. Again, read Daniel 1 through 6, and you'll see Daniel, and you'll see the life that he lived that produced the influence and the impact that he had. Really, there's three things that would characterize it. I'm just going to briefly summarize Daniel's impact. He, um, Daniel first, um, his work demonstrated excellence. Daniel did work with high quality and high integrity. There was like an artistry, like he wasn't just good at what he did, but he was that good at what he did. And he had an artistry about him with excellence and integrity. Daniel's work demonstrated excellence. Second, Daniel worked to bless others. So in the midst of his work, Daniel looked out for others, cared for others, protected others. And then third, with his success, Daniel gave God the credit. Daniel gave God the credit. And so the ancestors of the Magi who showed up on Christmas, they saw Daniel's life and they followed him. Not only did they admire Daniel, but then they followed his God because when Jesus was born, they traveled 800 miles. 800 miles to come and worship him. And I don't want to overstate this, but I believe this with all my heart. This is what can happen 
when we live out our faith. Even if yours is a faith that struggles with sin, if your faith loves God in your inner being, but in your flesh you serve the law of sin, even that faith, even that faith can have a huge impact. Daniel's life wasn't easy. It was full of struggles. And he was humble about the failures that he shared with his people. 600 years later, the Magi show up because of Daniel's faith. Friends, these are your new lenses. These are your new lenses. The Magi showing up demonstrate to us that your life of faith matters to God and it makes a difference in the lives of the people around you. I know it's easy to think it's not true. It's easy to think, no, no one cares. No, my faith is small. No, I mean, that's how we think. But man, Christmas is designed to give you new lenses that your life of faith in the workplace and beyond makes a difference. It impacts the people around you. Um, Your work life can be a star that leads others to experience Christmas. When we sing, oh, holy night, the stars are brightly shining. Man, what about, oh, holy workplace? Your life is brightly shining. Like you are a star of Jesus to light up the places around you. If you bring your faith into the workplace, if you bring your faith into your relationships, what might God do in the lives of people around you? I mean, this is the power of your faith presence. If you'd be excellent in your work, if you'd seek to be a blessing to others, and then to be honest about your faith in Jesus, which sometimes just looks like giving God the credit for your success in a way that isn't awkward. You know, sometimes you gotta work on that. Um, friends, we have people who are in our church right now because of someone in their workplace who simply lived and invited them to come. So this is happening right now in our midst. God turns our ordinary lives into extraordinary influence. Okay, and this doesn't mean that your life is going to transform generations, but it could. But it could, because if you can lead one person to Jesus, if one person commits, then everyone that they influence, whether they're single, whether they get married, whether they have children, every person that they influence happens in part because God used your life. So much of our life is normal and it's ordinary. We spend more of our time doing ordinary things, but the Magi show us that even ordinary life can have an extraordinary and an eternal impact. Because God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things. People who are just real about themselves, they're real about their struggles, they're real about their deep desire to serve God and to want to honor Him, and their honesty, even when they don't succeed, because actually some of the best stuff that we have to offer is God's grace and his forgiveness. 
It seems like even among the people that Jesus chose to be the apostles, Peter, it wasn't until Peter fell and was restored that Jesus told him to feed my sheep. Tying this back to Romans 7, it's our faithfulness in the midst of the struggle. It's the reality that we continue to struggle with sin while we want to honor God. That's actually what qualifies us to be the best representatives of God that we can be. The people around you don't need to see someone whose life is totally successful because their life will never be totally successful. The people around you need to see in your life that you love God and you're real about your sin. So let's take action. Let's take action. Just a couple things. In your struggles with sin and ordinariness, right? So in the midst of your struggles with sin and ordinariness, one, bring your worship and your gifts to Jesus. So first, follow the Magi. They were like, where's the king? That's who we want. Where's the king? That's who we want. Follow Jesus and then bring your gifts to him. They offered him gold and frankincense and myrrh. We want to offer him our lives. Jesus gave us everything. And so we want to offer him everything. That means our obedience. That means our relationships. That means, you know, our, like our goals. Like we want to bring all of that under and say, Jesus, how can I serve you in this? Is there anything in my life that's outside of your ways? It's outside of the direction that you want me to go. And we want to follow him. We want to follow him. And we want to give our gifts to Jesus. So that includes the Christmas offering. It includes supporting the church in its worship and its work, right? That we still give financially as an expression of worship to Jesus. And so you want to enter in. If your life is worshiping Jesus, then God will use you to impact others. And then second, bring your faith into your workplace, Bring your faith into your workplace. Now, this isn't the only place to bring your faith, but we don't talk about this that often, so I want to just emphasize it here, that it was Daniel's faith in his work environment that made this huge impact. And so I want you in your work environment, again, to bring your faith in, to be excellent in your work, to bless others in your work and, and through your work. And then when you have success, to make sure that you're giving God credit. I want to tell you a story of uh, someone in our church it's a teacher who shared the story with me. It's a story of ordinary faithfulness having eternal impact. This teacher said, I frequently gave brownies to my students who performed the best um, just as a way to incent them. She said, I told students that I had a calendar with their name on it and I would pray for them on that day. And some dismissed the comments when I made it, but then some would ask for prayer on the day they were taking their driver's test. I went to my students' athletic events. Um, in class, there are times I talked about life lessons. And then when they would leave, when I knew I was done, uh, this was, uh, she was teaching high school, I asked them that if they ever enjoyed a brownie from me, that they could thank me by when they got to college, checking out what God in the Bible had to say. I just asked them to check it out to find out what the God of the Bible has to say to them through a group at the university uh, or a local church that they'd be attending next year. She said she just did this year in and year out. And then five years ago, a student paid her a visit. 
she, the student said that she did attend a Christian campus group. She did read the Bible, and then she understood who Jesus was and accepted him. She met her husband in that same group, and now she works for USC in the math education department. And her love for math began when she learned calculus with this person who's part of our church. Now they have three kids, and they love to work with the youth group at their church, and she sees it as a pivotal time for spiritual growth. And she took the time to visit, this is what she said, she took time to visit me during school hours. She wanted to personally tell me her story and tell me how God used the challenge that I put out to make an eternal difference in her life. I love this. I love this. Every one of you has people in your life, in your workplace. They're all watching. You want to worship God and then you want to share your faith. This is one story, right? It was 20 years of teaching, right? So this doesn't happen all the time, right? There are, there are, there are agencies, there's people, they have to make their own decisions, got to wrestle with God, but your testimony, your life is what God wants to use to bring the light of Jesus to the people who know you um, and are around you. So God will give your life an eternal impact, even in the ordinary. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the Magi. Thank you for the mystery that is uh, unraveled as we look at the book of Daniel and we're encouraged by the testimony and, uh, and the power of Daniel's life. God, we want in on this. God, we want to have this kind of impact with the people around us. Father, we care about the people in our workplace and beyond. We just pray that you would help us to worship you and to see that you are already in our work, that you're there. We want to be devoted to you even there. God, use us in our workplaces. We spend so much time with our coworkers. Help us, Lord, to shine our light for you. And God, even today, as we're gathered here in person and online, um, Father, there are some of us who don't know you, that haven't committed themselves to you. Touch their hearts. If you want to become a Christian today, just confess your sins to Jesus. Tell Jesus, this is my struggle, but I love you and I want to follow you. Say, Jesus, I give you my life. I'm all in. Jesus will save you today. God, we love you. Help us to share the good news of Jesus this Christmas. We pray in his name. Amen.